I have known Jamie Dimon for decades and interviewed him numerous times, and it's always extremely exciting because he's so knowledgeable and has so much energy and is likely to say anything. So it's always a great interview that I look forward to. It was really interesting talking to Jamie Dimon about Donald Trump because it seems like he's changed his mind about Trump. Um, he was very critical of him initially and obviously known him a bit over the years in New York City. But it seems that he's come around a little bit, particularly when it comes to trade and acknowledging that maybe his strategy with regard to China wasn't so crazy after all. I thought it was interesting when I asked him about Finn, which is an app, uh, fintech sort of app for millennials, and the bank recently shut it down, and he said, listen, we're going to experiment. We try things, and that's okay. It was actually a good thing that we tried it. We had smart people working on it. It didn't work, and we moved forward. Well, Jamie's thoughts on the Democratic Party are pretty interesting, and I think that he you know, expressed some frustration that some of the candidates seem to be cherry-picking facts, and they would look at just part of the equation when it comes to, say, the bank, and that, oh, you only pay tellers you know, so much an hour, when really, you know, it's a great job with great benefits he maintains, and that there's a career path for them that they get to move up and work with senior management, and that if, in fact, he didn't pay the senior bankers a lot of money, they wouldn't be there, and then there'd be no jobs. And welcome to our guest, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO, Jamie Dimon. Jamie, nice to see you. Thrilled to be here. So we're in this new flagship branch of the bank, and I want to ask you about that, but first, I have to ask you, Jamie, first off, about the economy and the stock market. The stock market's at a record high, essentially, and yet we have a trade war with China, trade disputes in North America and Europe, and rising tensions with Iran. How do you reconcile those two? The, uh, the market's sometimes inscrutable, but if you actually look at geopolitics, they really affect the global economy. They could. You know, these things get worse, but they really affect the global economy. I think trade is serious. So we have the United States, for example, as a very strong consumer, good balance sheet, household formation, wages are going up, particularly the low end. Consumer confidence is very high. And business confidence has been very high, but it's been rattled a little bit by trade. So we've seen a little bit as business confidence drop, business investment drop. Uh, people are worried about the supply lines, and I think that may be hampering the economy a little bit. So it's kind of a tale of two cities. And Whether consumer that business confidence side, is down a little bit it, today. It's down a little bit, but still quite high. Right. And so, you know, how those th two things collide and what affects what, I, I don't really know. The better thing is to have a deal in China. There are serious trade issues, you know, so we all want the president to deal with the issues seriously, which he's been doing. A resolution would be good, but it, we don't expect a quick resolution at this point. What do you expect out of the G20 in Osaka later this week? Yeah, I think the best you can expect is that they have a good meeting, uh, that, uh, uh, that they start renegotiating, that the tariffs are off for now, and give the teams a chance to negotiate a deal, which maybe, if, you're, if we're lucky, it could be done by the end of the year. So let's talk about this branch. I mean, obviously, you guys have invested a lot here, um, but I thought that all banks were doing was shutting branches down. And yet, you know, this is a whole new way of doing banking for consumers. You know, people in business should always look at facts. Okay, we have a million people a day visit branches. So millennials are doing it less, they're still doing it. We've got 50 million people on digital. We've got 21 million different customers a year going to a branch. These branches support local small businesses, they support middle market companies, they support consumers. Uh, so, and these new branches are great. So we started this whole expansion, five, 400 new branches in 20 major cities, right at the heart of some of our competitors in some cases. And we're, we always, we love new formats, but this format is meant to be a flagship branch and a community center. 
so that, that when the people come here, those who come here, we have a thing called Chase Chats. So you can come here for a small business or individuals to learn about investing or starting small businesses. You know, we'll have community groups come in and talk about some of the things we do to help affordable housing. So we hope that these things will be just great for, for J.P. Morgan Chase, and we're thrilled to be on the expansion trail again. I mean, it's very experiential, and, and right, that isn't it? That expansion trail is thousands and thousands of jobs. Right. Oh, and, we'll and, talk about and, and the new jobs. branches, you right. know, in D.C., Philadelphia, yeah. Boston, they're actually doing quite well. It's early, but they're doing quite well. So it's very experiential. Yeah. And I want to ask you then, how does that dovetail with those 50 million online customers? I mean, is it either online or these super branches, nothing in between? No, no, no most no, actually, we, we try all these different formats, and over time those will change. And obviously these formats have more ATMs, less tellers, more advisors, private client advisors, small business advisors, mortgage advisors. So the advice part is going up. The operational part is going down. On average, the branch will get smaller. This obviously is not one of the smaller ones, but on average, they'll get smaller. But you've got to remind yourself, people, the average customer visits branches, uses the call centers, uh, uh, and does digital. They do all of it. And we do more for them. Bill pay, online. You can, if you are a Chase customer, a good customer, you can buy and sell stock for free. You're going to get robo-investment, which is really good. Phone here, we'll I give think. you guys advice and stuff like that, help you save for your kids' futures. And we're coming out with new products and new services all the time. That, so people are using them more, not less. Over here, they've got a piano. Now people can see that, but yeah. you know, that's pretty cool too. Yeah. You gonna go play a tune? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I want to ask you about the business mix because obviously consumer is a huge part of what you're doing. I mean, it's almost what forty to fifty percent of the bank's business is consumer. What is the mix going to look like, say, five to ten years from now? I hope our share goes up every year, and we're going to fight, you know, in the trenches for every customer by better products, better services, better technology, and more things. Like, so, you know, we've been growing both investments. Investments and deposits combined $800 billion. We're, we're gaining share in both those areas. And we're just rolling out some of these new products. We just have some coming out called Chase Offers. Like, free credit, you can get your credit score now. You can go on, and we're going to take you on a journey about how to improve your credit score. We don't even market it. 19 million people use it already. And a lot of people use it all the time. So we can help you improve your financial, uh, your financial life by something like that, which we're going to give you for free. So we're finding a million ways to help our customers do better and hopefully we'll earn more and more of their business. Remember, 25% of the business that takes place in these branches is small business. Right. Small businesses need help. They need to come by and drop off coin and currencies and sign things, et cetera. So we, so we support both. Do banks like J.P. Morgan Chase have sort of an unfair advantage, though, Jamie, over smaller banks at this point because you need that scale and the capital to invest in technology to be able to succeed and attract and retain consumers? So there's, there's definite kinds of scale. That's true in most businesses. But remember, some of the smaller banks, community banks, they also have other things they can do. They have very low costs. They buy some of these services from third-party providers. Uh, uh, and they also have, sometimes you have unique experience with the small businesses there, the real estate there. So they could, they could do a great job. But you're gonna, I think you're going to see some more in the middle merge to try to get some of those economies of scale. Right. Senator Bernie Sanders introduced a plan where he would uh, wipe out student debt, essentially, by levying a tax on Wall Street, 50 basis points on equities, 10 basis points on bonds. What do you think about that plan? So the, first of all, is there an issue with student debt? There is. And, but you've got to stop the creation of bad debt. So look, look what we did with student debt. The government took it over in 2010. They've lent out a trillion dollars uh, irresponsibly, and now they want to forgive it. Okay? And now universities, half the kids don't graduate, and it takes six years. Universities should feel more responsibility. So if you're going to make loans, make, make good loans that people need to get them to where they're going and get them good jobs at the end. The other thing is a lot of people get those college degrees. They don't need help. 
The people who need help are the inner city school kids, the kids who want to graduate in high school. You know, some of the kids at community college who need Pell Grants and stuff like that. So you should, if you're going to help people, make sure you direct it to those who really need it. How you pay for it, you can debate it all day long. You know, financial tax will be paid for by investors at the end of the day. So would you support the plan? No, I, I think they should look at all parts of student lending, fix the broken parts, and then forgive those people who need forgiveness, and then help people get into school, and then make sure the schools are responsible and gain the kids out. It, what we've done is a disgrace, and it's hurting America. We see it hurting household formation, mortgages, et cetera. Um, how they ta go about taxing, I'll leave that to the politicians to figure out. Let me ask you about the Federal Reserve, Jamie. They've been signaling strongly they're going to cut rates. The question is why? Unemployment's low, GDP's pretty good, other parts of the economy pretty healthy, and yet we need a rate cut? Well, I, they haven't done anything yet. I think they signal that they can go either way at this point. You know, but you, you asked a very important thing. The why is often far more important than the what they do. If they're cutting rates because they're worried about the economy, that's not particularly so good. If they're cutting rates because they, you know, want to grow things faster, that may not be so bad. So it really depends. And look, the, the Fed has to be data dependent. I mean, can you imagine the Fed saying, doesn't make difference what the data says, we're going to do what we feel like? So they're, they're trying to react properly to what's going on in the world, and they see the same things you and I see. Slightly reducing business confidence, slightly reducing... Uh, uh, capital expenditures, you know, a lot of geopolitical noise out there. Uh, they should be responsive. And what do you make of President Trump's war, no other way to call it, on Jay Powell and the Fed? I mean, the other day he called them, you know, clueless, essentially acting like a stubborn child. Has he crossed the line? I, look, I think Jay Powell is a high-quality guy, and the president has his own way of communicating, so I'll let you t talk about how he does that. But Jay Powell is a quality guy. The central bank has to be independent. The central bank is independent. And most presidents in their heart of hearts want lower rates. That should never be a surprise to anybody. Okay, shifting gears a little bit, I want to ask you about this initiative you have in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, you're announcing an additional $50 million investment there uh, in addition to uh, monies that you pledged before, so it's $200 million by 2022. Right. Why Detroit? It's for African-American uh, residents and entrepreneurs. Right. What exactly does the money so, go so for? Detroit, first of all, I think business has to be involved in trying to fix some of our serious problems. Detroit was an example of the, probably the one city or one of those that had no recovery. His population went from 2 million to 700,000. A mayor got elected on a door-to-door -door vote, a white man in a 80% black uh, uh, neighborhoods. Uh, but he talked about what I thought, we thought was great stuff. Schools, jobs, uh, ed edu uh, education, uh, affordable housing. I need help. And he, he said to anyone, anyone who can help me, come on in. Civic society, business, uh, and people jumped in to try to help. So we sent a team of people in, not traditional. It was to look at what can we do to help to accelerate the recovery of Detroit. And so obviously we're quite good at affordable. It was going to be sustained, very analytical. I'm going up there tomorrow to review some of this with the, with the mayor around affordable housing, work skills, uh, infrastructure. Uh, this new effort is because there's still a, a class of citizens being left behind. And it's often minority, and they're, in their, this case, black Americans. So this $50 million is a special effort to help black entrepreneurs to do education, small business, uh, and housing for the, for the segment that's been left tiny a little bit. Again, we're trying to have a very focused effort. And we use these, what we learn in these things, we share. So we do it a little bit in New Orleans, Chicago, New York, uh, L.A. Uh, so we're getting smarter and smarter how we can help lift up society. And we're, a lot of the people doing it, we're not the only ones, but Detroit is working. This effort is working. We happen to be one of the biggest banks in Detroit, so consumers, small business, and large corporations. So, but if you were only in one city, wouldn't you try to help your city? If that's the most important thing, so obviously it's good for the bank, 
but but it's part of humanity trying to help your city and your people come back and recover from what have been basically a terrible 20 years. Yeah, I mean, you really see progress there because people have been trying to help out the city for a number of years now. Yeah. So if you if you go downtown, if you went downtown 10 years ago, you couldn't walk around downtown. There was no life, there were no lights, there was a lot of crime. You go to downtown now, there are lights, there are bands, there are, there are restaurants, uh, jobs are coming back. I think the population started to go up the first time. You know, more people moving into the, uh, rehabbing some of these homes that have been abandoned. Uh, uh, they're making a much better effort on skills, and all societies working together. I mean, it, it, and it's a beautiful thing to see people actually working together. I also want to say, you know how I got the idea? From Lee Saunders, who ran AFSME, the Municipal Workers Union, who you know, said, Jamie, I need help in Detroit. So we've done a couple of things up in Detroit together. So unions, working with banks, working with civic society, working with mayors, working with governors, that actually works. What we see today happening, like in Washington, that does not work. Yeah, it's an unusual uh Unusual in that sense, then. Let me ask you about uh, the bank and the strategy going forward. $32 billion in profits last year, second only to Apple in the United States. Yeah. And um, you guys have really recovered incredibly from uh, the Great Recession, of course. But what are the big opportunities going forward? Yeah, our finest year was 2009. Okay, Our profits were down, I think, like 50 or 60%. But we stood behind our clients around the world, governments, cities, states, schools, hospitals. And that was the finest year we had. Even though uh, profits pro pro were... Pro profits are only one measure of what okay. you actually accomplish in life. You know, quality people, quality technology, service. Obviously, you know, we live in a cyclical environment. And every now and then, we're not going to have increasing profits. And, but the future is equally bright. You know, obviously, you can have competition. FinTech, payment systems, you know, around the world. Oh, those are legitimate. And that's a good thing. You know, to have competition is a good thing. But we're pretty competitive, too. So we're, you know, we do $11.5 billion of spending tech every year. We're opening 400 branches. We've got new products for, for lower-income folks. We open up new countries every now and then. We have more people calling in corporate clients in Europe. We're adding asset management products around the world. So, like, every one of our businesses is growing at a different pace, but they're all growing. They're all pretty much gaining share. And, you know, we're pretty ambitious, and we're going to keep on driving responsible growth. And why is the damn P.E. so low? I, I don't worry about that. I mean, you've never seen me tout our stock or something like that. We're earning 17%. It was actually 19% last quarter on tangible equity. That's really good. But we are in a little bit of cyclical business. People are still afraid of banks. You know, uh, these things you, that affect the world, uh, every one of them affects us. Uh, so people, you know, are, are cautious. But if we keep on doing what we're doing, we'll make our shareholders quite happy. And one thing you said perhaps to mitigate that ultimately would be subscription-like revenue. You were talking yeah. about that, and someone said it's sort of like Netflix almost. Yeah. Yeah. What is that all about? It's, the people, we already have a lot of that. So if you look at like cash management, asset management, custody, a big chunk of consumer banking, a big chunk of commercial, they are subscription businesses. You know, you sign the thing, you have revenues for years. And of course, you, we have some which are more episodic. So investment banking by its nature, you know, equity, debt, trade is a little more episodic. doesn't make it bad. It just makes it episodic. But we're still getting share. And the revenues generally are, are going up. So, you know, if you look at our financial results, if you look at just our financial results, you look at that company and say, my God, that, that company is fairly consistent. In fact, one of our analysts did a report, Mike Mayo, and showed about the volatility of our earnings and revenues were less than most other companies, which would probably surprise you. Yeah, but, that's lost on people, But I think. we have a credit cycle. So mm -hmm. everything I just said, obviously credit go up or down, and episodic businesses, and they scare people a little bit. But those businesses do quite well over a long period of time. Hey, Jamie, let me ask you about uh, Facebook's Libra cryptocurrency. What do you think about that? Well, blockchain is real. We're, you, we, we have the J.P. Morgan coin blockchain. Uh, and I think and competition is real. I think there are serious issues around money and how you can use money and send money. But they're government issues. 
And you've seen the government react like, well, what does that mean when you send money around the world? Will they follow banking rules or KYC, BSA, AML, or will they not? So, um, but they obviously want to serve their clients, and that's fine. I also want to be able to serve their clients, too. So I always look at these systems about we, we, we like to do some of it, too, ourselves. And we, should, we don't always want to be forced in someone else's eco, eco, you know, uh, ecosystem. Yeah, did you talk to them about this at all? Did you I, guys talk to them about it? I, I did not, but it's very possible someone in the company did. I mean, is crypto an existential threat to J.P. Morgan's core businesses? I don't think so. I mean, people don't think like We move $6 trillion a day around the world. It's very cheap, very secure. It works. And the banking system has already built Zelle, real-time P2P, and TCH, the clearinghouse, with the banking system, has built real-time payments. We already have all that. And it's very cheap. It's very secure. It shares a lot of information. It goes through all the bank security systems, cyber security systems, KYC, BSML. So we have that. So we're going to have competitors. So it's whether, whether it's a cryptocurrency competitor or another fintech competitor, we're going to have competitors. And I tell our people, you just don't guess. You know they're there. You know they're coming. They know they want to eat your lunch. Assume it. And it, might, and it might not be the ones we see. It might be the ones we don't see. But that's why we're offering free trading. That's why we're coming out with robo-investing. That's why we're coming out with Chase Offers. That's why we're coming out with uh, uh, the FICO credit journey. These are great products and services. Some are free. So we're just making our banking more and more value to you, the customer. Satisfaction scores are going up. The ease of using the business is going up. What you can do digital is going up. So as long as we can do a good job for you, I think we'll be fine. But do you worry about younger customers, Jamie? I mean, you guys shut down Finn, and there are all these new FinTech companies out there. Which ones of those concern you the most? Our, our, we're gaining share in millennials every day. In almost every, in, in Sapphire Bank Card, go ask any millennial. I was at a party at my daughter's, and someone said Sapphire, and 10 kids were there, and they all pulled out their Sapphire card. They all have it. So we are winning with millennials. They are using the branch less, but as they get more money, they need banking services, investment services, et cetera. So Finn, you know, I don't look at Finn as a failure at all. I could Finn, we took a great team of people. We said the digital only may be fundamentally different than a bank. So that they both had to do build digital. We learned a lot. But the fact is, we also build a lot of digital stuff here, like digital account opening, digital this. And we just took the best of Finn, merged it in there, and now everyone gets the benefit of autosave. You know, a product that might be special for a millennial segment, or a product that might be special for an elder segment. So, you know, we're, we're always looking to business trying to serve our customers better. Are those young people different? I, loved, I think with the people at Commerce of Film was great. Right. We're the kind of company where it's okay to have a skunk works, try some out, it doesn't work, merge it in, you learn from it. Right. I mean, Jeff Bezos always talks about that mistakes are how you learn. And, you know, for the whole business world and the regulatory world to act like a mistake is always a bad thing is a mistake. It's not. Are those young customers different? Less than you think. I mean, as they get more money, they act more and more like you do. Um, let me ask you about wages, because it's kind of a hot topic. And with all these new branches you're going to be opening up, you're going to be hiring more tellers. And then, of course, people are going to be asking about minimum wage, $15. Bank of America has now pledged $20 an hour. You guys going to match them? Yeah. So the way I look at it is that, that first of all, we're, I'm in favor of general minimum wages going up. I think we've got to get people more of a living wage. And I think the federal maybe raises and then states should do more locally so they don't damage the economy too much. I'm also in favor of expanding the earned income tax credit so that working people get more money in their pockets by getting basically negative income tax. I'd be dramatically in favor of that. Now, we already pay minimum 16 and a half to 18, so it'll be something like 18 in the city. And it may go up over time. We, haven't, you know, we look at that every year and decide how we're going to compete or not. But remember, that's already at the medium level of Americans. That's a starting job. That's a 17-year-old kid or a 22-year-old kid, and hopefully it's the first rung in the ladder. 
And like these brand, I don't know the branch managers here, may have started as a teller. That's how they start. And so, and, and they also get medical, dental, vision, training, tr enormous training. And the best training they get isn't the money we spend on training, is they, set, they get to sit next to some of our bankers and learn how to do the business and get promoted. And so we create huge opportunity for people. And I understand the concern of American Pie. I have the same concern. But these companies already pay that. They already do medical. They already train their people. We take very good care of people. And that should be recognized a little bit better. You know, some politicians, particularly on the left, have been using this divisiveness and pointing those uh, to those salaries and talking about the um, difference between those wages and your salary. Yeah. Um, but there's something there. I mean, you guys, people might sort of poo-poo them, AOC, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, but obviously it's resonating with some people. Yeah. And so why is that, and what can someone yeah. in your position do? I, just because it resonates doesn't make it right. Mm -hmm. And comparing apples and oranges is a complete waste of time. You know, I, I think people just don't think clearly about stuff like that. We treat our people well. We educate our people. We give them a huge opportunity and stuff like that. That's what we should do. We should acknowledge the problems in society that are causing the anger. But those problems are we can't build infrastructure, okay? Those problems are the inner city schools not graduating our kids. Our litigation system is capricious. Healthcare, healthcare is a huge. And what you're seeing now is not that, I understand people, we should get all healthcare to the 40 million people who don't have it. But the biggest problems become these high deductibles, which we all did. You know, we put them in so that people can't afford the deductibles so they're avoiding men. I think it's a terrible problem. So what did we do? The second we found out, we, for our lower paid folks making under $60,000 a year, we cut the deductible to the extent that if they do the wellness programs, it's effectively zero. So we're, we understand. We have a heart. We're, we're trying to take care of all our folks in, in a relevant way. We also need our talent. If we don't have our top bankers, this company won't be that successful. If this company isn't that successful, I couldn't offer these great benefits to lower paid employees. So people just don't think clearly. and We need good people. We operate in a very complex global world. And we need you know, our top bankers and lawyers and HR people and risk officers to make sure all these other things are right. And they have other opportunities, not just in America, around the world, with other banks. So you know, to act like somehow I can steal from them and do a good job for my company is a little bit crazy. Yeah, I think people are opportunistic by taking some facts and not all the facts, right? Um, you mentioned healthcare, so let me ask you about Haven, which of course is your venture with Berkshire and, and uh, Amazon. And, and I read somewhere, Jamie, recently that you suggested that Haven is going to be taking aim not just at the employees of those three institutions, but maybe has a broader mandate. Is that in fact the no, case? No, it's, I, someone wrote that, but it wasn't accurate. Okay. The mandate is that, and give Warren Buffett and Jeff Bezos full credit, that, that we have this issue. Mm -hmm. And you look at the issue, it's end of life costs too much, we don't do good jobs in chronic care, 40 million people uninsured, there's lack of transparency in medical markets, uh, obesity is now 30% of cost. Obesity drives cancer, heart disease, stroke, depression, diabetes. We don't teach wellness in schools. It's a huge problem. It's now tw almost 20% of GDP, which is why Warren Buffett calls it the tapeworm of corporate America business. And it's, you know, for the rest of the world, it's 9%. So we said, you know what we've got to do? Long-term, sustained effort with really smart people. And that's what we have. Atul Gawande, we've got now 30 or 40 people. We're doing the data, the science, and we're starting cracking what we could improve in all these different places and make ourselves smarter and smarter and smarter. What we said is we, might sh we, don't, we didn't tell them exactly what they can or can't do. We said, you got us, you got our time, you got our money, you got our attention, go at it. Think big, think small, come up with things we're going to test, and eventually we'll share that with the world. If we, if we come up, I want to come up with some great things we share. You say, Jamie, that's a great thing, that, that you've, you, we learned something, we're better off for it, and you know, hopefully we can help fix the healthcare system. 
Now that's the dream and the hope, but you got to start small, right? You got to take that first step. And uh, and we we have not never said what it can or can't do. Just be open-minded, be thoughtful, use data, figure out what's broken, try to test how you can fix that. Do you talk to Altal Gawande? Yeah, I saw him yesterday, in fact. And he gives you sort of updates and briefings on what's every, going on? Every week or two. And what about Warren Buffett? Um, you know, he's now finally invested in your company. Took him a while, right? Yeah. Um, and obviously he's a partner of yours in this uh, endeavor. How often do you communicate with him? Not, not a lot, but, I, but I'm going to go see him this summer. And every now and then he comes to New York, he comes to some of the J.P. Morgan events. I you know, obviously think the world of Warren. I've been studying Warren. I've been written, read, read every single one of his partnership reports going back to 1956. So I've been studying him for a long time. Fortunately, I went to see Warren a couple of years ago, and he introduced me to Todd Combs. Todd and I hit it off. Todd's brilliant. Now he's now on my board. He's serving on the board for Warren of Haven. Uh, and he, you know, Todd, Todd originally sent me, Jamie, I'm a little bit of a policy nerd sometimes. He sent me big books on PBM, about companies and PBMs. I said, Todd, I don't have a time to become an expert in that stuff. And that, it was that conversation that actually led to some of this. Like, what can we do that we do need to look at and how we can fix these things? And by the way, we want to partner with anyone who can help. So I tell the healthcare companies, any one of them, Help us do this job. You should be thinking about how you can improve the health of Americans, and you know that the system has flaws. It's got, we have some of the best in the world, but let's also acknowledge the flaws. You cannot fix problems if you don't recognize them. Okay, it's just a sine qua non. And we should start recognizing some of these problems, coming up with better policy to make it work. I think what the government did about transparency, I haven't read the whole thing, it's great. You know, you, you, if you had MRIs or blood tests, you know, in a two-block radius in the average town, the difference in cost could be five times. You know, we should, we should learn that. And why is that? Is that legitimate? Should we maybe knock those costs down a little bit and share some of the benefit with our employees? So we're going to try to find ways to make our employees happier. Better health. We'll test certain things in wellness, maybe certain things in telemedicine. Anyway, they're, they're coming up with a bunch of stuff. I'll let them do it from here at this point. But in this new government program, you actually do think it's a real step forward. Yeah. I haven't read the detail, but the concept, absolutely. We should have had national exchanges forced transparency and a bunch of stuff. If we'd had that Obamacare, we'd have a much better chance to succeed. And we didn't. Another person you talk to from time to time is Donald Trump. You were there uh, a couple weeks ago, I think, on Friday. How has your relationship with him changed? Because you were pretty critical early on. It seems like you're less critical now. He's our president. And you know, I see presidents and prime ministers around the world. I focus on the policy. You know, it's, uh, trade, tax, immigration, infrastructure, and you know, where, where we can help, we, we tell them what we think. I, I went there representing the BRT, the Business Roundtable. Mm -hmm. So I went with a bunch of other CEOs, and we covered a wide range of subjects. The Mexico trade deal, uh, China uh, tariffs and trade deal, Huawei, infrastructure, immigration, and that's our job. Try to help him do the best he can. When he does things we don't like, we disagree with, we're pretty vocal on that too. Are the tariffs something you disagree with him on? I agree with the fact that there's a serious trade issue with China, and he's laid them out, IP, lack of bilateral investment rights, regulatory barriers, uh, a whole bunch of stuff, uh, state-owned enterprise. Those are legitimate complaints which we need to resolve. We did not originally think he should do tariffs. Uh, we thought he should do TPP and get our allies together and then face off against China. Not angry at China, just tell China, this is the terms of trade. The, the tariffs so far have gotten people to the table. That is true. If you would ask me to do it, I would say don't do it. But I want a successful conclusion. You know, not, not just getting them to the table. So, but the Chinese have told me it got them to the table. So that's what it is. You know, I, I have to confess I wouldn't have done it. And uh, a lot of people have said the same thing. But we would like a successful conclusion. And, if, and, and if he can't get a, a good deal, I, uh, then he should walk away. And that's a serious statement I just said. 
If he can't get a good deal, he should walk away. And, be, and that will have ramifications, but that's life in the fast lanes will survive. And what about USMCA? We're going to work really hard to get it passed. That's part of the reason we went to see him. You know, the, the membership of the BRT wants that deal done. Mexico is a good neighbor of ours. Canada is a good neighbor of ours. We, never had a, we haven't had a war since 1848. You know, we should, we should treat them respectfully and decently. They're very good neighbors. They're a, I think they're a 30-year-old democracy. We should help lift them up. A lot of their problems are also ours. We, sell them the, we buy their drugs and sell them the guns. So we, sh we should work together to fix some of these problems and stuff like that. And, uh, uh, and we're going to be fully involved in trying to get every congressman to vote for USMCA. How much credit does Donald Trump deserve for the economy being in such good shape? I think some. You know, I think, you know, I, I really mean this, that, you know, all my liberal New York friends would never agree with me, but the fact is we need a tax reform. And the way you got to look at tax reform is we, we had been at 40% federal and state for 20 years. The rest of the world went from 40 to 20, basically 20. We're still average for OECD. The net result of that over the 20 years is that trillions of dollars was reinvested overseas that would have been reinvested here. I think already $800 billion has been brought back. Now, some's going to stock buybacks and all that, but that's capital. That's just giving capital back to be reinvested. The real benefit is cumulative reinvestment in the United States over the next 20 years, and that will be substantial. People look at what happened year over year. That's not why you do something like having a proper tax system. And so regulatory reform we needed, and don't think of banks. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about and any, the whole American public knows. Mind-numbing, paperwork, red tape, and bureaucracy. It's making it harder to build homes, to build bridges, to start businesses. Small business formation is lower than it's ever been in a major recovery. Because of that, infrastructure, this one, you guys should be, I mean, if I were you guys, I'd be talking about this every day. It takes 10 years to get the 49 permits on average to get to rebuild a broken bridge. And that's true for our water, our electrical grids, our bridges, our tunnels, our airports. What the hell's wrong with this can-do American nation? That's regulation bureaucracy and stupidity. And if we don't fix it, we're relegated to more years of slow growth. And, he, and they're trying to attack that. So, uh, you, know, the posit we, you know, we tell them exactly what we want about immigration. We want a path to citizenship for law-abiding undocumented. We want DACA to stay. We want more merit-based, like the 300,000 kids from overseas who get educated here and have to leave. You know, they come to our universities for, you know, uh, BAs or advanced degrees. And um, if we do these policies right, America will be growing a lot faster. Jamie, you look so engaged, and I know you just promoted two women, Marianne Lake yeah. and Jen Peepsek. Um, you talked about staying on for another three years or so, but I can't imagine I you leaving use, this. I never use the word three. Okay. And it's not up to me, it's up to the board. Okay. But thank you for pointing out the two, two magnificent women. You know, Marianne's been a great CFO for seven years, now she's going to run credit card and mortgage and, and auto. And Jen Peepsack, who's been in the investment bank, in, in, in consumer, was running credit card, you know, swapped into finance, and they're great partners with each other. We, we, we have exceptional people at our company, including exceptional women. How do you personally measure success? How do you judge whether you're succeeding or not? You know, I, I don't, there's no one measurement. You know, I tell people when I die, I hope people simply say, you know what, we're going to miss that son of a bitch. And he made the world a better place. It's not about profit. It's not about you know, what's the one thing that made your legacy? And, but, I, but I have to have this company, this wonderful, beautiful company called J.B. Morgan Chase, thrive in the future with great leadership and great management and treat people ethically, be responsible corporate citizens, do a great job for co customers, win share. That, that'll just make me feel great. And the other one is to help my country a little bit. I'm a patriot before I'm the CEO of J.P. Morgan, which is why I'm, I'm much more engaged in policy. I think we have to fix the policy errors in America holding us back. That we have to fix them. 
And last question, um, this uh, conversation often revolves around influence. And so I want to ask you how you see using your influence on the world, Jamie. Yeah, as best as I can. You know, people often say, well, what if this doesn't work? You'll flow flat in your face. Or this I say, I don't care about that. If you, you know, you go and do the best you can, you know, and you try to help countries around the world. You can't agree with everything everyone says, but, you know, people say, why do you go see President Trump? You should go. No, I'm going to help him do the best I can because I want to help America as best I can. And where I can, I'm not an expert in other areas, but I could, some areas I know quite a bit, and so I'll do the best I can. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, I'll, at least I'll rest in peace knowing I tried. Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. I'm Andy Serwer. You've been watching Influencers. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter at Yahoo Finance and at Serwer.